Welcome to the Youth Ministry Partners Podcast, encouraging leaders, sharing insights. We interview youth ministry experts in the field to reveal the tips and advice you need to succeed as a youth leader in today's ministry landscape. Visit youthministrypartners.com for detailed show notes and more information. And now your host, Ben Howard. Welcome to the Youth Ministry Partners Podcast. This is, uh, well, today's a little different. This is not the full podcast. I'm just going to give you a little little mini episode, a little, little snack, a little conversation. Um, uh, today I'm here with Jack Radcliffe, who is the lead editor. Senior editor. Senior editor. Yeah. I'm the lead editor. Is there, is yeah. I know, you I are, you are the lead editor. I'm the lead editor. He's the senior editor for Youth Ministry Partners. And we are going to talk about... We're going to talk about teens, which feels like it's kind of self-evident, and we're going to talk about smartphones. So first, I'm going to have Jack, tell me about the article that you read, and let's kind of get into a little conversation here yeah. about teens using smartphones. Yeah, so uh, there's this churchleaders.com article, the title is The Danger More Pressing Than Sex and Drugs in, in Your Youth Group, and uh, some of you, some of the listeners out there may have, have seen it, and... Uh, Essentially says that uh, Gen Z, which y'all know how I feel about all those generational distinctions. <laughs> Not a fan. Anyway, uh, but anyway, they talk about this generation of young people are obsessed with smartphones, and, uh, and of course, there's this now evidence that that so shows that screens and depression. There's a link there between the two. Um, I find it interesting that that while this generation. We'll we'll drink later, smoke later, have sex later, more more interested in hanging around with their parents uh, than previous generations before them. Uh, they are attached to their phones, and it the uh, the mental health issues are are starting to emerge. And so that that's the gist of the article. And so today we wanted to dive into um, smartphones and and teenagers, and just kind of let the conversation roll. Ben's got some thoughts. I, I do. So a lot of, you've probably heard a lot of conversation about this in the last three or four months. It's really been heavy in the zeitgeist. And a lot of that is coming from a book written by an author named Gene Twangy. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, it's a book called iGen. And basically she's a sociologist who, psychologist, sorry, professor of psychology at San Diego State University. And she studies a lot of generational differences and is kind of trying to put correlation, like trying to reason out why this generation, what you might call Generation Z, what she refers to as the I generation, is um, significantly less likely to get involved in um, sex, uh, drugs, mm -hmm drinking and like oh, they're doing a lot of those risky behaviors that you associate with teenagers significantly less however their uh, rates of depression and anxiety are skyrocketing yep. uh, rates of suicide are much higher um, and they don't interact with each other as much and that's that's the real the real correlation she ends up pulling out of this is that the problem isn't smartphones. It's not any. It's not necessarily any of these tools. It's that teenagers are not 
physically in contact with each other. They're not around each other, so they're all isolated. Now, the, the trade-off is if teenagers are isolated, they don't have sex or get drunk together or do drugs. On the other hand, if they're alone, they get depressed and anxious and have a hard time functioning in society. Yep. So it's like that that's kind of the trade-off that she puts forward. Now the the thing that she comes down on why smartphones became a part of this conversation. There's a high correlation between the use of smartphones and depression and anxiety amongst teenagers. And there is some backlash in the kind of former tech world. So uh, I know Sean Parker who was one of the founding um founders of Facebook and a couple of people who have worked with Google and Facebook in the past as investors have basically come out and said like social media and your smartphones are designed to be addictive. That's right. So I, I just listened to a podcast uh, uh, this morning and they're talking about, was it yesterday? Well, one of those days, mm -hmm. but they talked about the dopamine hit Yeah. that, that happens when you're, when you get on your smartphone, you're looking for those likes, you're looking for all the you know, all the positive vibes that you get through social media. And for teenagers, that that's the, the addiction part. It's just you just cranking on the dopamine all the time. And when you can't get it, then, you know, the, when, when you're when that all just dissipates, you're left in this this funk. Yeah. And that I mean, we've seen that play out. That doesn't just play out for teenagers. It plays out for adults yep. um, significantly as well. And in arenas like Twitter and Facebook, those hits come from like saying more outrageous things and getting the people in your bubble to agree with you. Mm -hmm. um, while for teenagers, it's usually using like more of Instagram or Snapchat or something like that. And then it's, more social. It's not about, hey, let me say this political statement or make this, you know, outrageous claim. It's let me post this picture of myself and all of my friends or let me like create or curate this particular kind of life. Um, what I find interesting, though, is there's not that much research that actually supports that theory of the dopamine hit. There's a lot of conversation about it, and that's kind of like the working theory, but no psychologists or psychiatrists have been able to kind of, or psychologists or sociologists have really found a lot of evidence supporting the idea that social media is addictive, or at least not addictive in the way that we talk about addiction. It is self-reinforcing, hmm. but it's not addictive in the sense of like if you didn't have your phone or social media for a day, you would go into withdrawal. In a classical sense. In a of, classical sense. Yeah, addiction. So, right, right, right. I I mean there's a lot of there's a lot going on with that kind of conversation about teenagers. I think a lot of it is like most conversations that kind of get into the public sphere, the answer is like Yes, that's a problem, but it's a problem about two thirds as big as the problem you think it is. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting when you you talk about all the tech giants. You know the yeah the people who create all these 
you know, the phones and, and all the apps and, and all that, they don't let their children use them. Uh, Steve Jobs didn't. That, that I mean, that's that's kind of the go-to is that Steve Jobs didn't. I don't think the Gates. Right. The Gates didn't, didn't. either. Um, I don't know if Zuckerberg hasn't really talked about it. Now, it has been interesting. Um, Facebook is retooling their algorithm and one of the things they basically claimed it was going to do is they wanted it to be more geared towards social interactions. So it was more more interactions with people you actually know or have actually met. But one of the things it was going to do was that it was very clearly going to reduce the amount of time you spent on Facebook. So do you think they are buying into, with, with, with decisions like that, do you think uh, uh, companies like Facebook are buying into the... The addiction theory? I don't think they're buying into the addiction theory as much as they're buying into the fact that other people are buying will into buy into the addiction theory. So it's good for them as a company to present themselves as being responsible corporate citizens, especially in the wake of like all the political turmoil from uh, the 2016 election. Like They know they're on thin ice, mm. and they know that they are a big company, and they know that there's not a lot of love out there for big tech companies. And it's good to stay in like the good graces right. of the populace. Yeah. I think that's where most most of the tech companies are at right now. I think Apple kind of gets a pass because they were they've always been kind of considered cool. But the fact that they like invented a product to make you addicted to it um, <laughs> is like just kind of goes past some people and i mean there are tools that people have used to like be less addicted like you can set your iphone to like grayscale so that it's not as colorful and people there is there is research that says like when you see something that's not as colorful you're not as drawn to it and you don't right. check it as often um so there are like little like tricks and tips that you can do if you don't want to use it as often but honestly and this actually goes back to research that we've published material on in what was Andrew's book's name? Andrew Zersky? Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to ask me at the moment. Um, Beyond the Screen. Yeah. Andrew Zersky's book, Beyond the Screen, which is published by Youth Ministry Partners, um, which basically argues that like it's not that you can't use smartphones. It's not that you can't use cell phones. It's not that you can't use technology. It's that technology is not a replacement for human interaction. And human interaction is key. Right. And it's not like, and actually that means like face to face human interaction. You have to be like, be in a room with people as much as you would like to replace that part of kind of our society with like, Oh, well I should be able to communicate with you through text or through video or other thing. It just doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. you actually have to be in a room with people. Um, you have to have like physical contact with people. Um, that's essential to like being a human. Right. Um, and I think a lot of kids don't get that enough and so that y- kind of leads them into a darker place. Yeah. So you hear this, this kind of starts us down another kind of rabbit trail and then I want to pull it back to just the practical stuff. But you see a lot of concerns. So if you read the news about all this AI, artificial intelligence, and, yeah. and you know the 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 melding of humanity with machine, uh-huh. uh, you know there comes this. I don't know where we're going. This is going to be yeah, interesting. Be, <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
this the idea of being face to face and and interacting and and of course then all of that kind of sh- tells us or leads you to, to wonder is there a movement that says you really don't need uh, compatibility with other human beings when you can have a relationship with with this robot or you know <laughs> um, I feel like even those things are. Well, you're kind of talking about us like do we have ai that can pass the turing test and pass as human um and if you did have technology that could pass as human would you require actual humans yeah to interact right and my first thought to that is yes you would um i i think i think we are much further away from artificial intelligence or kind of this electronic stuff being like an authentic replacement for human interaction than we probably think that we are. Oh, who said anything about being authentic? Well, that that's the problem is that it's the, it's the, I hate uh, to say it sarcastically, but I think that's, well, I, I think that's kind of, that's kind of the situation is like, I think AI or I think some of these kind of, um, these these kind of communications that we have through mediums, through social media, uh, through phones are kind of the the processed cheese to like good food. Like it's 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 the hamburger like it's the hamburger you get at Wendy's and not like the food you make yourself at home. Where it's like it's sort of fine and it will sustain you, but you won't like feel good about it. Yeah. Um that's kind of the that's kind of the equivalent I have. Um, it might taste good, but it'll make your stomach upset. Yeah, it's yeah. it's gonna you're just not gonna feel better mm-hmm. later. Um, and I feel like that's probably what happens with a lot of those kind of interactions. You can get almost enough to feel like it was enough. Yeah. So here as we're 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 kind of boiling this down. Uh, the article jumps mini episode, mini episode. Yeah, so the article we're going to try and bring this home here. the The article talks about so what do you do? What what can the church do? And uh, you know, partnering with parents and those kinds of things, and and developing a theology of smartphones that isn't overly reactive. You know, a lot of a lot of youth ministries they'll they'll have this basket out when you walk in the door for for students to deposit their smartphones there until until after you know they're done with youth group and they go mm-hmm. home um, others they'll utilize smartphones within the the meeting and just is you know make sure that uh, you don't have it out when you're not supposed to and those kinds of things so there's a there's a, a breadth of of ways that people approach this this issue um, from a practical perspective and one it has to do with the actual who are we and what are we doing at, when we're together and then the the other has to do with how do we help kids navigate all of this? Well, I think that has to be I think sometimes um youth leaders or even parents they forget that that their children have not had the experiences that they have had. So you, if you're 14 years old and you you've had the internet Ever since you, you know, ever since you were born, you've had access to the internet. Ever since you were born, you've had access to a phone or social media since you can remember. It's not only that you have to say, hey, let's not use that thing. You have to point out 
what do you feel differently? What do you ex- what are you experiencing differently not using that? And that's not going to be a natural realization for a student. They're not going they're going to think about the absence of the thing that they like. They're not going to think about, well, what does the absence of that make you feel? Because that's not their experience. That's been our experience largely because I mean, I didn't have a smartphone until I was maybe like 25 and uh, I didn't have a cell phone until I was 18. So like I had experience, I had experienced the world in a way that didn't have those connected to it. So I could kind of like compare and contrast, like what was my experience having a phone versus not having a phone. And you can think about those things. I feel like we don't, we just don't acknowledge like teens don't have the experience. Like you have to give them the experience and say, if you go a day without your phone, what are the pros and cons? And think about the pros and the cons. I know it's going to suck and you're not going to like it. And you're not going to be able to talk to your friends. But did it make you view the world differently? Was there something about that that you found redemptive or positive or an experience that you want to copy again? Okay, how can you figure out how to get back to that experience? Does that mean you use your phone in a different way? Does that mean you do different things in different ways? And I feel like it's you're right. It's not when we say those things like, you know, we have to navigate with them through the issue. And I'm like that actually means like you need to go point by point through some things that you might think are intuitive, but aren't if you haven't had that experience. Um, so what do you think? Here, here's the and here's the other side of this, the, the parental side. Uh, there are parents who get very upset when kids have their phones taken away because that means the leash is no longer connected to the kid. <laughs> So it's I mean, the parents' fault, isn't it? The parents, it? yeah, that's right. <laughs> so I mean, it's not just helping the kids necessarily navigate this; it's helping the parents take a deep breath and say, "It's okay if your your son or daughter doesn't have their phone with them for a while." Well, and I mean that goes back to what we were saying at the beginning, which is you can understand why parents would like the phone. You, it, a child is safe if they are in their room by themselves, mm-hmm. not getting into trouble. They're quote unquote safe because the the harms that can come to them are psychological and not physical and I think a lot of times when parents are thinking about protecting their children they're thinking about protecting them physically yeah. not necessarily psychologically and like we said like the problems that you can get into the problems that, that teens got into more in the pre-iPhone generation were these kind of classical physical tr- physically dangerous problems it was you'd fall out of trees yeah it was, you'd break stuff or you'd get in wrecks or like you'd you know do drugs or you'd you know drink too much like and those are i always feel like one of the things that i think youth ministers can really help parents deal with is your kid's gonna do really dumb stuff because like they're a child and they haven't experienced things and they don't know that certain things just like they look fun. They don't realize that they're, they they come with like really bad consequences. That frontal lobe stuff. Like they're yeah. just they're, – they're children. They are – pardon me for saying this. They're dumb like in like a very fundamental sense. And you have to be aware of that and kind of go through that growth process. You can't like get upset. When they do something that's dumb, but that means you can't protect them from everything. Like they're gonna get, like they're gonna mess up. Right, right. And and we've seen the consequences 
of where kids uh, do that um, when everything is public. You put something yeah. out on the internet, uh, YouTube or or you know any one of the social media apps, and the world knows, and it it can become it can be pretty devastating. As opposed to something happening in private, you know, back in the day, you'd, whenever that day was, you'd, you'd play ball <laughs> in the yard and, you know, a ball would go through a window and you have to pay for it. But the world didn't know about it and nobody was emotionally yeah, hurt. So, I mean, yeah, I guess my biggest recommendation is just, like, ha- tell your kids to spend time with, like, other kids. Like let them mess up in public. I don't know. Like, I mean, it's really, you're, you're buying, you're going to have some kind of problem. Probably. Like there's no avoiding all the problems. There's no keeping people safe from everything. Um, so just kind of be open with those problems. Be open with the fact that like, if you stay in your room all the time, it's going to make you sad and depressed. If you stay on your phone all the time, it's going to make you feel distant from people. And you don't want to be. Like, that's... I feel like that's a pretty open thing to say. So, three things I think we can we, we can kind of deduce from from our banter is, is one, uh, conversation about the issue is really important between teenagers yes. and their parents and between youth ministry leaders, church leaders... And both parents and teenagers. That's one. Sound like the second thing is um, get kids in front of each other more often and facilitate that. So often, I think we let teenagers just figure it out for themselves without a lot of guidance. Mm-hmm. They need guidance. They might roll their eyes and give you a hard time, but they really need it. So that's two. And then three, uh, when we do provide those environments, like a youth group or maybe a parent in their in their home, uh, when they have allow create space for their their kids to have their friends over, um, make it a safe space, a space where they don't necessarily feel like that uh, I have to go hide myself because I am face to face with other teenagers, but I don't feel relationally safe, mm-hmm. which is a real important thing, and so. That that creating that safe space relationally is important for teenagers to not feel like they want to go hide in their in their smartphone. So yeah. I think those are three things that that I can pull away from our conversation of you know tips for for youth workers and parents. Anything to add, Ben? I I don't. Um, I what I have to add is if you liked this kind of mini episode conversation, uh, go ahead and give us a line and tell us that you liked it at youthministrypartners.com backslash contact. That's youthministrypartners.com backslash contact. Or you can comment on Facebook, which is Youth Ministry Partners, or Twitter at YM Partners. Um, we would, we'll be back with more episodes, more interviews, more conversations. But once again, if you liked hearing this kind of mini episode, this kind of mini conversation about something that's in the zeitgeist, go ahead and drop us a line. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you, Ben. And goodbye to the internet. Thank you for joining us for the Youth Ministry Partners podcast. Remember to check out the YMP store at youthministrypartners.com and get in on the conversation at Facebook and on Twitter at YM Partners. Youth Ministry Partners. Listen, learn, and lead.